Today we talked to Rudy and he opened up about his journey to confidence. Rudy was vulnerable and talked about everything from childhood sexual assault, bullying, drug use, and how he overcame it all in therapy. He now uses his stories to help the youth and other members of the LGBTQIA and black and brown communities. Rudy, thank you so much for being here. Welcome. Hi, I'm so excited to see you actually, and also just to be a part of your platform. Thanks. Absolutely. Yeah, it's definitely been a while between the pandemic and everything, but I'm glad you're here. You've been doing amazing work. So tell us a little bit about yourself. So I'm a Dominican immigrant. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's been it's been interesting. I've had so many lives. Like, I feel like I've done so many things. Uh, I've been a concierge. I've been, you know, in the travel industry. I've been um, recently I've been working with an advertising agency, Droga 5. So, you know, I'm, I'm always open to learning. It's like my favorite part about every time I jump into these new roles. It almost feels like you're taking college courses and you're coming out of it with all this knowledge. Um, but recently, I've been, you know, finally accepting that I'm an artist and I have been gaining the confidence all my life to say that and be confident in what I do, which is my passion, singing and songwriting. Um, but, you know, entertainment in general is it's an industry that it kind of like easy to be not confident about it because so, it's so much competition. Um, you may not fit the mold of what you think people want, but I think I'm, I'm on a journey right now where I'm accepting I'm an artist. I love what I do. I'm the happiest when I'm creating. So I'm, I'm really, that's who I am. <laughs> that's great. It's such a cutthroat industry too. So how did you get to that point? Cause now you're accepting that you're an artist, which is huge, but how did you build up that confidence? I always was scared to call myself an artist because I think it comes with this pressure of like, you have to deliver. Right. And growing up an immigrant kid, you know, not only are my parents immigrants, but I'm an immigrant. I came to the U S when I was six years old. And I just wasn't raised to value the arts as a real job. You know, I was always told like, okay, you're going to be a doctor. Are you going to be a lawyer? Like my parents came here with a very clear plan to produce this dream of what, you know, what people do in America, be successful and acting and singing and dancing and all that stuff. That's not looked upon as, you know, something that's going to make you money and, and make you successful. So I was always discouraged from doing those things. And it really hurt me because that's when I used to be happy as a kid, even in high school, I joined the chorus, I joined drama club, like that's what I like to do. And constantly being told, no, that's not a real job. No, don't do that. You know, it messes with your head and you start believing it. You start then trying to find other things, but nothing's gonna make you happy if that's what you love to do. So it's been a journey of, wait, I shouldn't listen to you. I should listen to myself <laughs> and do what I wanna do, which is be creative, you know, in, in multiple capacities, so. Well, that's a lot of pressure to overcome. Mm. How did you peel away from those expectations that didn't fit your personality? You know, it's taken a long time. I mean, I'm gonna be 38 years old this July and I've never been, you know, I just, I think for a long time, I didn't realize that I had the power to make those changes myself. Like, I think we look for external things to make us happy, to validate us, you know, and family is a big important external component. You know, we all look to our family for validation and I wasn't getting that from them exactly. I mean, my parents love me, we have a good relationship, but there were things I wasn't getting. So I think through all these years of growing up and just finding what works for me, finding mental health and therapy and just things that I was able to control myself because I can only control how I think and how I react to things. So it was life-changing for me, to be honest with you, like mental health and therapy and finding like that voice helps help save my life, you know, because I was like in a really bad place. So, you know, the struggle continues all your life but I'm in a really good place now because I've tapped into this confidence, this power that, um, that I'm the one that decides, you know what I mean? I decide uh, what makes me me. It's your life. You should do the things that you love. And I'm glad yeah. you broke away from that 
kind of toxic energy. And a lot of people live through their parents or live to please their parents and society. And I'm glad that you've found the confidence and power to break away. And it's so subtle too, because, you know, I don't think any parent is out here. I mean, most uh, are not trying to make you feel bad. It's not a tactic to purposefully hurt you. You know, I think in their mind, they want the best for you. They, you know, all these other components that have to do with them, you know? So in the end, I think people just have to know, you know, maybe that advice does work for you and that is the path that you should go on. But for me, it was very evident that I had to find my own way because what someone was telling me to do wasn't aligning with who I was as a person. So, you know, I love my parents, but I, setting boundaries with them has been super important. And like being able to say, you know what, I'm doing this because I like it, or I'm doing this and maybe it's not about the money. Maybe it's about the process of like making something. And that brings me so much joy that like, that should be enough. And, and that's the thing that is the takeaway. Like when you tell someone, don't do this, do that you're kind of telling them like, you're not enough. You should do this. And that's like a mental health thing that sticks with you for a long time. Yeah, it's traumatizing when you feel invalidated or like your authentic self isn't enough and that you can't even be that person. And a lot of people deal with that and that impacts your mental health negatively. Like all that we want is to be successful, but it doesn't look the same for everyone. And having that said, like one of my goals now that I'm just really in a good headspace and trying to align myself with, with just... My, what my message is, what do I bring to this world, right? So one of the things I really want to work on is just helping kids, uh, especially in city high schools, because I went to a public school in New York City. So helping kids uh, that look like me, right? Brown and black kids. I want to help them realize that the arts is an option, you know, because I think in our communities, it's seen as a, like a hobby. Oh, this is like your hobby. You know, it's not encouraged to, to pursue those as career paths. And there's a lot of talented, creative black and brown kids out there that are thinking, oh, I'm not going to do that because, you know, the people in my community are telling me that this isn't a real option. And so I kind of want to like break down the stigma of that and just encourage them from earlier on, especially that time when they're like about to decide on big things like college and like, do I get myself into all this loan to do a a major that I'm not even going to end up doing because inside I'm actually an artist, like things like that. So I want to give kids these pep talks because I wish someone did it to me, you know, like I wish someone told me, you know what, don't go to college. Like I actually wish I didn't go to college. That didn't work for me because I was trying to please other people by going there and it had nothing to do with me. So like, I just want to make it known there's other things, there's other options. If you're a creative black and brown kid, like you need to just do more of that because the more you do it, the more you realize if you really love it or not. And if you want to pursue those paths, you know, that's great. You're taking your experiences and making something positive to help others. And why do you think there is that stigma in that community about the arts and about a standard path that everybody has to abide by? There's a lot of pressure to perform. You know, nothing is given to anyone, especially in, in my communities. Like you have to fight twice as hard to get anywhere. And so I think people are scared. You know, you're fearful that you're not going to be successful and you make decisions based on what you think is going to get you paid. Mm-hmm. So it's unfortunate because I think in the end, what happens is we view arts as something that is ethereal almost, right? Like the the value in art is the feeling. How does art make you feel? What is the response that it makes you have, like emotionally and all these things, but they're not tangible too much. Like you can't just make a graph or like a sheet and put, you know, like, like a math chart and say, okay, well, these are the percentages. Like you can't really show it that way. So it's harder to explain and to convince someone that the arts has value, which is why in schools, for example, the arts programs are the first things that get cut. You know what I mean? So it's just unfortunate because it's harder to convince people because it's harder to show it as a, as a mathematical equation. But right. I think in the end, people will agree that the arts bring so much mm-hmm. to all of our lives, even now that we've been in this pandemic. The fact that people have not been able to go see a show, that people can't go to the movies, like they're realizing the impact that those industries have on our mental health. 
because those things make us happy, you know? So it's really important that we continue to nurture kids that want to be our future performers, you know? We can't let them go, especially the black and brown kids. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that, I don't know how I'm going to do this yet. I'm just putting it out there because I've been thinking about it for a few years, but there must be some sort of school program I can, you know, connect with and, and do these chats with like other fellow artists and we can go in and give these pep talks to kids and, and maybe participate in their art programs or something like that. Absolutely. We need that next generation of artists. Yeah, very, very much so. So you've mentioned that you've kind of felt suppressed or that inner artist took a while to pull out because of the culture that you are around and your upbringing. How did that impact your mental health? And what was that journey like? Because you're thriving now, you're killing it now. So how did, <laughs> how did you get here? You know, it was a hard journey because I think before the artist stuff, there was something else that happened to me. Like um, growing up was very hard because I always, I, I don't know about, other people but I've heard a lot of other queer people say oh well, I, I knew I was queer from a very young age like people at five years old six years old they kind of know they're different and for me it was the same I knew very early on that I was gay but I didn't really know what that meant right um but when I was five years old I was raped so there was a lot of things that happened that I wish I had gotten therapy for example like right away after that but I didn't right so all these years passed and you kind of victimize yourself, you, you blame yourself. There's a lot of shame in, in rape. And as a child, I don't think I had the vocabulary or the tools to really like know what I was feeling. So therapy would have been really great, but that wasn't, an, that wasn't an option. Later on in life, I'm in elementary school, right at the cusp of high school. And, you know, I was blatantly gay. I mean, I wasn't even trying to hide it too much because I just was trying to be myself. That's hard enough. But the bullying got so out of control. Kids did not like me because they were learning at their house that people that were gay were evil, that you know, it was something to make fun of. And, and it was okay to make fun of it, like that they wouldn't get in trouble for doing that. And they wow. treated, a lot of kids would treat me very badly. I would have teachers walk me to the train station so that I wouldn't get beat up by other kids. So it was hard, <laughs> it was hard. Um, so, you know, I think from walking away from all of that, I just felt very helpless sometimes. I felt very, um, worthless. I felt like I wasn't enough. You know, why didn't people like me? And I had to, that led up, that led me to a lot of issues of, you know, drinking a lot, uh, not valuing my self-worth, uh, making just bad decisions based on my feeling of all the things that happened back then. Um, you know, confidence was just not something I had, but but that was internal and somehow I am an extroverted person. So no one knew that I was having confidence issues because I looked like, oh, he's up. And everyone thought I was just like a happy person because that's my personality, like how I present myself. But no one really knew the self-esteem issues that were going on. And so I think it made it bigger because it was like I had a secret, you know, and I was like insecure inside, but presenting as, you know, this person that was really happy and a go-getter, which is part of my personality. But there was just like a duality there that wasn't helping me because nobody could help me. Nobody knew. Right. So all of that really led to just me putting myself in bad situations, making bad decisions. Um, I was still running on how, what jobs am I gonna get that are gonna make money because I didn't wanna be, I couldn't accept that I was like an artist. It, it felt scary to do that. So there, were, there was a lot of decision-making that I was making while under the influence of bad mental health. <laughs> and it wasn't really making me go anywhere. So, you know, I had to take a step back, especially because at the rock, the rock bottom part was trying drugs that were not great. I mean, everyone maybe tries a little bit of weed sometimes and that's fine. Um, but in the gay community, especially right now, I have to say there is a lot of meth out there and it's really easy to get it, you know, especially on these apps like Grindr and Scruff. And I think that 
you don't really realize how bad those drugs are because I never grew up knowing anything about them. But I think you don't really realize how easy and how just fast you can be caught in a moment where you're trying something you've never, you didn't know really what it was. And then once you've tried it, it's like there's a point of no return from that because now you know what that drug is and the high you get from that is a high that you're not gonna get from anything else. And it's really damaging. It, it's really easy to get caught up in, in those drugs. So I had a moment with that for like a year where I was slipping in and out of that and it was really scary. And I, I think it was more scary because I saw what was happening to other people around me. And I had a moment where I was like, I, this can't be my life. Like this is gonna be, this could kill me. I mean, this could be, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah. just so scary. Um, I guess I'm, I'm a bit of a goody two shoes too. So for me, even doing it at all was like so crazy. And I just fell out of control, you know, because you want to do more and then you can't, you're, you're physically not in control. So I got help. I actually went to the center, which is here in New York City. It's a LGBTQ plus place for, for kids and for, for anyone actually in the community that needs help with all types of things. They actually have um, programs for people that have substance abuse or if someone's HIV positive, they have groups for that or they have groups for people that want to find jobs and are you know, not having the best moment in the industry right now. They have all types of, of groups to support the community. So one of the groups was substance abuse. And I went there literally just, I didn't know what I could find. I didn't know what programs they had, but I knew that I needed to speak to someone to get out of it. And the counselor they gave me, which was completely free, by the way, they, wow. they don't charge. And that counselor was so kind to me and made me really talk to myself in a way they actually said something to me that was like, you know, the way that you talk to yourself is like kind of harsh. Like you're, you have so much pressure you put on yourself and you're like kind of mean to yourself. And that took me like, I was like, oh my God, really? Like I wasn't hearing how I was being to myself, but I think I was taking all of those years of the bullying and how people talk to me. And that's how I would talk to myself like really badly. So I had to learn how to talk to myself in a nicer, kinder way. And from all those therapy sessions, I went to, to you know, at the center, then I said, okay, well, I want to, like, I got out of the drugs that, that wasn't like that much of a big deal to me. I, I felt like I was at a place where like I could get out of it and it wasn't like I was addicted to it, Thank but, God. but I knew that I needed to keep the mental health going so that I wouldn't fall back into it. Because what, the reason why I even did the drugs was because I was depressed and I was wanting to connect with people and I wanted to feel uninhibited and that drug makes you feel that way. And it gives you this false sense of security and like makes you think you have friends, but you don't, you know, they're all like sex friends. It's not real. And so I thought, no, I need to now do regular therapy, right? To kind of deal with all the stuff from the past. And I have health insurance through, through Health First and I was able to find therapy for free. I literally went on psychology.com, psychologytoday.com, looked for a therapist that I just, um, like you can choose, like, you know, the race of the person, if they're queer, you can, you can kind of filter based on what you need for your therapist. And so I chose uh, a Latina queer person to be my therapist. And those sessions, and I'm still going there, and it's been what, more than two years now. Wow. Um, and it's just really helped me because it's a place where I can have a conversation about all these things that have happened to me and process it. And how do I want that to affect me? How do I let it affect me? You know, what's your reaction to these things? Um, it's just been a really great safe space to explore all the trauma, you know, and kind of accept the trauma and then move past the trauma. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But you did it and you've made so much progress. Was that the first time going back to when you went to the center, you went there because you were having some substance use issues, yeah. but before that you were living behind this happy-go-lucky facade. Was that the first time you really actually were real with yourself and the therapist or the person at the center about the assault, about the social rejection and bullying and your self-esteem issues? You know, the thing about the therapy is a funny thing. All the time I knew 
I, I had all the tools there, right? Like I knew that me having low self-esteem was a result from all this. I knew, I knew so many things, but when you're in therapy and you say things out loud, it kind of sparks another part of your brain, I feel. And you hear yourself like talking about it. And I think it makes you just understand it in a different way. This is the thing I haven't, you know, the therapist isn't telling me anything that I didn't already have inside me. I'm doing most of the talking, to be honest. I think the therapy is actually the most helpful because you say things out loud. You're hearing yourself, you know, say, when, you're, when you're thinking everything, it's, it's one way. When you say it out loud, it hits differently. I don't know if it's because it's a different part of your brain and you're listening to yourself. I don't know what it is, but you are able to really process in a better way, I think. And I had not had the opportunity to do that. I had not been to therapy. Um, I liked doing mental health things. Like I always gave, I was always inclined to mental health things. Oh, I want to do yoga. Oh, I want to meditate. And I would do it sometimes. And sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. But going to therapy and saying the things and, and saying out loud to someone also that was like kind of gazing, you know, at you and, and encouraging you to do well, you know, those were things that I think I needed. That was the extra step. Yeah. Therapy helps you like empathize. Even what you said about you speak it out loud and sometimes for me as well, it's like, oh, whoa, if I heard my friend saying this to me, you kind of like give yourself more credit in that space because you're hearing yourself as just like a human person who's kind of hurting. And it, there's a level of honesty that doesn't come in your head when you have that negative voice in your ear too. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, and that's the thing too. Like there's words that sometimes you use that you don't realize that they're a crutch. You know, for example, with my therapist many, many sessions ago, I would say things like, well, you know, I should be doing this and I should, and she, and I didn't make anything of it. She's like, well, why do you keep saying should or would have, or these, you know, such a small thing. And then I had to think a whole thing, a whole session about why was I using those words? Why? You know, and that makes you process, you know, there was an insecurity there. There was a, there was all these things that language is so important in, in how we understand ourselves. And unless you're saying it out loud, I don't think you're really processing it the same way. Yeah, that makes sense. You mentioned some shame that you felt growing up and from things that happened to you in therapy. Yeah. Did you blatantly talk about that shame or was it through the little things like the words you mentioned and just that like narrative within your mind? I mean, that was really hard. I really went in with the therapist because I told her in the beginning, I was like, it doesn't mean anything to me to have a therapy if I'm going to just be really surface. And I was like, I'm ready to I mean, you have to be ready to do that, but I was definitely ready to talk about everything, everything from when I was little to the bullying to everything going on now. And I had to not be embarrassed. You know what I mean? Because I think if you're embarrassed then you're not telling everything, that's what ends up happening. And if you're not telling everything, then you're not hitting all of the topics and you're, you know, that are, that need to be worked on. We all have things that we can work on. You know, some are more bigger issues than others, but we all have problems. And I think the sooner everyone accepts, yeah, I'm flawed. I make mistakes. I've done this mistake. I, you know, if you make that not such a big deal, if you realize that everyone makes mistakes, then I think it's easier, you know, but we live in a society and a culture that everyone's always trying to be perfect. Even with the social media, it's so apparent, like, oh, with this filter, I look this way now and I'm just trying to be perfect. And it seems fun and like, oh, I like the filter. It looks cool. But it's psych psychologically, it's actually affecting you way more. Then you're looking in the mirror at home and you're like, I don't like it this way anymore. I like it the filter way. You know, like there's just something subliminal about that. And so, you know, I think the, keeping it real is going to be the most productive and the most effective.
It takes yeah. vulnerability though in therapy and there's no filter and it takes time too to build up that trust or to find the right person that will pull it out of you. But definitely best that, advice. That's an advice I give people too, because I say, okay, the, the fastest way to be vulnerable with your therapist is if you trust them. So try to get someone that has either similar life experiences to you that looks like you just have a little bit in common with the therapist somehow, because then those walls will get broken down and then you could be your real self. And I tell people all the time, don't do therapy because somebody told you to do therapy. Don't do, don't do that because then you're going to be in the therapy, wasting your time, not talking about the real shit. And it's not going to do anything for you. So unless you're ready to go there, just don't even do that, you know, because it's, it's a waste of time. You have to not be embarrassed. You have to be completely honest with yourself, not with the therapist, with yourself. Why do you want therapy? Remember the reasons that even led you to want therapy. We all, we all should use therapy. And I think also therapy adjacent things, just mental health things, meditation, even, even when I'm making music, that's like a therapy for me because I love it so much and it makes me happy. So it doesn't have to always be such a serious mental health thing it doesn't always have to be like okay i'm going to sit here and meditate and you know find the answers to life no cooking is a great meditation for me i love cooking and i look up recipes and i cutting everything up and make putting my own twist on it that's a great therapy and that's fun you know what i mean like things like yeah. that you there's times. a lot of things that can help with your mental health and you can go to a therapist because you're having a specific issue like anxiety or you're feeling depressed. But at the same time, now you see a therapist regularly still, right? Just to cope with life and to come up with new coping mechanisms and make decisions. It's not, it's been stigmatized as like, you need to go to therapy or something right. that's only for people who are crazy because of the media's right. negative de depictions. But in reality, we should all be in therapy. We all go to the doctor for our annual checkup. And if you have any slight injury people love the peace of mind so why don't we do that with our mind our brain when that's like literally the center of our whole body and life it's worth it to check in with a professional you know what i mean and i think also the pandemic has definitely helped i think people realize that a little bit so that is a positive you know randomly from the pandemic i see mental health things everywhere now yeah. I've even seen drag queens on social media, like promoting mental health things or something like it's <laughs> yes. out there. Like people are, get, are getting it. They're, they're talking about it, which is nice. Um, but also like therapy doesn't have to be this like annoying, heavy thing. Like even for me, I'm still doing it now, but I'm thinking like, okay, maybe like as soon as the summer comes and we're a little bit out of the pandemic, maybe I'll take like a summer break and then I'll go back to it. Like it doesn't have to be perpetual forever. It's whenever you want, you know, and therapists are very down for that because they know life is about ups and downs so you may be in an upswing right now maybe you don't need you don't need therapy right now but you're open that okay maybe things happen down the line and maybe i want therapy again now maybe i want to talk about this that happened and it could be you know on and off it doesn't have to be like oh i've been in therapy for 15 years like that sounds so heavy it can be when you need it and then you can take breaks you could see different people it's kind of like dating like the more therapists that you can see or different support groups or meditating and just anything that you can do to cope is definitely helpful. And you said how things are getting better, especially with the pandemic. People are now realizing like, okay, mental health is real. I didn't experience this before because I had a routine to lean on. How do you think it's different now for the LGBTQIA community and for black and brown communities compared to when you were growing up? You know, I think the, the positive thing about social media has been how people are 
just exposing all of these things and we're all able to watch it together, right? Like there is a, like even on TikTok, I'm so impressed because yeah, you can watch TikTok and people are doing these stupid challenges or whatever, right? And that's great for whenever you want to be mindless. But there's this other side to TikTok where all these people talk about political things and like they debunk, you know, political comments. And I just did not even realize that that was a thing. And so sometimes I watch some of these people and I learn so much, or even if I don't learn something per se, like it makes me curious to look it up and research and actually like look up things that are going on in my community with our Congress people or whatever, things like that. And so the internet has the power to bring people together. This um, last year, when, when um, we were supposed to have gay pride, usually that is such a big event, you know, Visa, MasterCard, Coca-Cola, all these sponsors come through and they make the best floats and all this stuff. And last year, because what happened uh, with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, like the, the, the whole event really turned into a march in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And also to speak up and say, you know what, our Black trans people are dying, they're being killed. And that's not okay. You know what I mean? And no one wants to talk about it. And I think that was also the other conversation like, okay, well, Black Lives Matter, but all Black Lives Matter, not just the non-queer ones. You know what I mean? So there were so many conversations and social media was able to bring, bring these groups together. So on social media, like there's a, a queer march uh, on Instagram, that's their account. And they were the ones that organized that event. And it was so powerful to go. I went with my boyfriend, I went with my mom, I brought oh. her with me <laughs> and we rallied, we had signs and it was a, a, a true protest, you know, that it was just doing it for all the right reasons, not because some sponsor, not because it's a party, but because our community needs our help, you know, to be aware and to like reach out to the people that are in our politics to, to tell them this needs to be handled. This is not okay. And people are out of touch with polit political things. They don't want to take that on. It's very hard for them or, you know, it's, it's, it's very stressful. I mean, four years of Trump did that where people didn't even want to see the news because every day was so many news that you just be desensitized. So people had to get back to, okay, why do we care about politics? Well, it's, we care about them because it affects us. Yeah. <laughs> so when you want some change, you have to go out there and you have to speak about it and you have to rally and you have to protest and changes come from those things. So it's important to do it. So, you know, queer communities have been, I think, sticking together. They've been rallying on social media, finding opportunities to be vocal. Um, I'm really proud of the queer community. And I think that our next big thing is tackling black trans lives. Mm -hmm. It's really not okay. Um, so many deaths, even last year, I think it was like 45, 45 trans lives lost, you know, to, to murder. So things like that are happening. I think people are aware of it. Uh, this year, it's going to be another queer march as opposed to like uh, a parade, right? Nobody needs a parade right now. Yeah. I mean, um, I think people need to act on on what's important to them. And so we're doing that. Uh, and I think also, you know, just it's heavy. So being also like, having light moments is also nice. But I think the weather helps. And now it's going to be summertime and people are, I don't know, like bars are opening again a little bit. And we need that too. You know, it can't all just be heavy all the time. But at least we have the weather here in New York and like things opening up slowly now that people are getting vaccinated and all that. That's good. Yeah, there, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. But also, how can we celebrate with a parade when there's people that literally don't have human rights and are being slayed like by our government or in general not being protected by the people who are supposed to be leaders in our society? So I'm glad that you stood up for what's right. And that's history in the making. So I commend you. I'm glad right. that you got to participate in the protests. And how was that too? When, when you did have the queer March, were there cops there? Was there any pushback? What was that like? 
So the way they organized it, you know, it's very last minute because they don't want a lot of police presence, right? So I think that they don't really give the route of where what streets are gonna where it's gonna happen until very last minute. Mm, but police, but police still show up, you know. But it's a peaceful protest. No one is doing anything crazy. Um, people are chanting different things. Um, it just felt very different than any of the. Obviously, it was different than any parade I've been to. But it also just felt like we were in solidarity. I don't know. It, it just felt like a special moment that everyone was supporting each other. Um, it felt real. It felt like a real community was together. Wow. As opposed to the parade, where it just feels like a lot of different queer people are having fun, but maybe separate, like in different groups. Mm. There's a lot of subgroups, but the march felt like we were together, like for this one thing. And that united. I don't know. Yeah, I just I, I it gives me chills talking about it because I, you know, we were so emotional there. And, you know, we're chanting the names of these people that have been killed and just demanding our rights as, as humans. So it, it was really powerful. That must have been surreal. And it's just wild that this even has to be a thing. I'm so glad that there's this movement happening, but it's also just like, why can't people just be able to live their lives? And especially in the land of the free um, and also hearing about this peaceful event versus some of the contrast of other things that we're seeing in the media and tear gas. And the fact that I even have to ask like, were the cops respectful? But I'm glad that you guys all made it through and had this moment of being united and celebrating, um, especially memorializing the people that we lost. Yeah. And, you know, now that with the pandemic, I think like people are rallying more just via social media too. Like if you're not a protest person, then you're not a protest person. I don't think that there should be any, like, I don't want to um, shame people that don't protest because that's not for everyone. And that's not the, you can also just be in solidarity via your social media presence. You can be in solidarity and, and donating money. There's so many ways to be in solidarity with all, whatever movement you're, or you're uh, choosing or that you identify with. So that's another thing, like social media gives you options of ways to be in tune with that. And um, as far as the mental health, like I think a lot of people just also because of, of, of maybe therapy or uh, being able to see other people like them, um, they're kind of, there's less weight on them because they have just released some of that maybe trauma. Uh, maybe they're talking now about, you know, how people, cause there's so many things that people are talking about now, like, okay, well, this is happening and this is racist or this is happening and someone was this way to me. But now they're finding other people that are saying, oh my God, that happened to me too. And that kind of validation is very important when it comes to mental health because you feel seen. And so that takes a little bit of the weight off of it. Maybe not all of it, but like, it just makes you feel more normal. Like, oh, what happened to me wasn't just to me. Like this happens to people, it's a thing. So that's been really great to have mental health wise because people have been coming closer together with their shared experiences. It's very important, I think. It makes them feel less alone, for sure. Yeah, it makes you feel less alone. That's what it is. Definitely. And how can we be better allies to the Black trans community and to any community that's under attack right now? I think empathy is the biggest power that people can have. It's, it's, it's a, you have to hone that though. I don't think anyone is born kind and no one is, everything we have is, as a human being you learn, right? So you have to teach yourself. If you didn't grow up in a background where there was a lot of queer people or a lot of black and brown people, or then you have to teach yourself. You have to be exposed to it. Okay, if, you, if you're, none of your friends are, you have not one black friend, not one Latin friend, not one queer friend, then you should say to yourself, okay, maybe I'm just 
not like don't talk to yourself badly about it don't beat yourself up about it but do but do question maybe i'm in a bubble that i haven't gotten out of and you know what if you go outside of that bubble and you meet other people that are don't look like you that are not like you your life is going to be enriched you're you're going to become a more like diverse person you're going to just have more empathy for people because you're going to be friends with them you're going to know their stories so if you're not outside your bubble, you're never going to hear those stories. You're never going to know what these people go through on a day to day. And so you're never going to care, you know? So right. that's really the main thing. Go outside of your bubble. I don't think most people are out there trying to be assholes or trying to be hateful or trying to be this. They just don't know. They haven't been exposed to different types of people. So, you know, that's what, and it goes both ways too. Like, you know, there's people that are of color and they never had a white friend. I don't know. Like, it's, it's everything. People just need to be more unified. And I think we have all these bubbles that we're in and sometimes we don't go outside of it and we lose a lot that way. We lose a lot of perspective and empathy. Yeah. And a lot of it is systematic. You know what I mean? You might've grown up in an area that you've always been in and you're only exposed to these types of people. And then when it ends up coming to the forefront, it's more like someone's saying that you have this privilege and then people are naturally defensive. But in reality, right. the best thing you can do is to kind of check your privilege and also check your perspective. Like you said, if you don't have friends, if you haven't seen the pain of the people actually affected by this, then how can you ever understand? And how can you begin to be part of a positive change? Yeah, everyone really on all sides of, of everything could really use more listening skills, could use more um, just alternate perspectives. You know, I, I think, look, it depends on your personality. Some people are going to be really fiery and they just want to do action and get in there and that leads to sometimes you know have confrontations even online I see it where people are like going back and forth and they're really heated and I think it's better to listen I think it's a smarter way to kind of respond um because sometimes you know you might have more in common than you think you know and you just don't know because you don't know that person's life um but even in general just with the pandemic and even if you take race and, and queer out of it I think everyone really can be a little bit nicer um, we're just saying, I think, and I think the culture is uh, like realizing that, like, it's just the better way to be. I don't think anyone has the bandwidth right now to be like negative. And I mean, it's, I know for myself, I've forgiven so many things of so many people because I just don't have the capacity to take that on right now. There's like, the world is literally ending and I, <laughs> and I am here to just be my best self and focus on good stuff. And you know what I mean? Like, I just feel like if more people had a little bit more openness and just, you know, they could let a lot of petty stuff go and just focus on real important stuff. And the most important stuff is focusing on yourself. <laughs> yeah. So you can be a better person for the world. Yeah. And you're right. This last year, the pandemic, everything, it's made us all more sensitive and it's kind of cleaned up our priorities where it's like, okay, I'm not going to be worried about that. Like there's literally people out here dying from the pandemic, from racial injustice. So. Oh my God. It, now I'm hearing all the stuff about India and I'm reading I mean, you know, every week there's like a different thing, but seeing helpful. the images of, of the people in India and how they're having like, you know, burning people's bodies like in mass gatherings because they have no rooms for, for the dead. Like, it's just so sad and crazy. And and I think, you know, there's there's bigger things going on in the world right now. Sometimes I think we take on really petty things and we're fighting with our best friend or we're fighting. Even the other day, I got into like a little thing with my mom 
And then I was like, you know what? I don't want to argue with you. I, I need this resolved. Like, yeah. I just do not have the capacity for this. I forgave her in like literally two seconds. I was like, no, we're good. We're not going to argue about this. Let's just, we're moving forward. Let's do this. And that's it. We ended it. Squashed. It puts it in perspective. It's like, there are bigger things going on and let's all just come together. Or in the very least, it makes you value the people around you. Like, wow, we have it so good. We don't even realize. Um, and I think you have taken your experiences with your anxiety, with seeing a therapist. And now you're really passionate about giving back to the community, about supporting the arts. So tell me more about that. How has your mental health led to the businesses and the different ways that you give back? You know, the funny thing about mental health and, and therapy and meditation and all that, as soon as someone sees some results, I feel like they, they want to shout it from the mountaintops. Like, it's like when you go to a nice restaurant and you have food that's really great and you just want to tell everyone, that's like a human condition, I think. Like, people just do that naturally. So for me, I guess that's what's happened. And I've had such a good experience with therapy and, and mental health that I want to tell everyone, oh my God, you should do this too. Like, this is going to really help you, you know? So right now I'm trying to align myself because it's important, you know, that I, I feel like people hear the stories of other people going through things so that they can understand that one, they're not alone. Uh, you can do it too, you know, and I'm not perfect. And we all go through things, Every, you know, ups and downs is the whole thing about life. Like it's a roller coaster, you know? So I'm having a really great moment right now. And, and it's my time to share and, and just be, you know, enjoying all of the fruits of this, you know, the fruits of all of my hard work that I put into my myself, you know? So it sounds weird, but it's like, I put a lot of work into myself. I put a lot of work into my mental health. I put a lot of effort into being this version of myself. And now I see the results. So I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. But I also want to share, you know, I, I think about kids that look like me when I was in high school. And I was like, wow, I feel like my life would have been different if someone like touched me somehow. Like, you know, by telling me their story or by telling me, look, you should do what you want to do. It's going to work out. And being encouraging, like that goes such a long way because my parents didn't do that for me. You know, they're because of fear, because of their anxiety, you know, it's, it doesn't matter why, but right. I think people need other people to tell them, look, it's okay. You can do this too. And just be like encouraging. So I'm trying to align myself with that project and maybe talk to high school kids, something like that. But I do all these other projects. Like I'm always doing something <laughs> always, you know, now I have this web series where I go into different train stations and I show art in the different subway platforms all over New York. And it's called the art underground. Uh, and I've been doing that on this platform called Patreon, which is like, uh, you know, people subscribe to it and then they, they see all the content. So nice. that's been pretty cool. Yeah. And I've been able to, because I haven't been able to do in-person tours, you know, so I've been able to make that tour into a virtual web series and now everyone can enjoy it from home. So it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Street performers or the artists that are on your web series, I feel like don't usually get that kind of representation. So I feel like that's huge to shine a light on those communities and those people who are so talented and kind of hear their story. Yeah. And, you know, because I think no one when you're commuting, you just want to get from point A to point B. And I think even people that are from New York, they're usually in a train station, but they're not looking for art or like where the performers are or anything like that. So it's just opening your eye to kind of be more curious and show you like there's over a hundred train stations in New York City that have really cool art. Like even people that are famous that are in museums, like there's pieces by Roy Lichtenstein, Jacob Lawrence. Like it's not just local artists and stuff like that. Mm. Like there's really big names down there and people don't know about it. 
Wow. Yeah. yeah. And New Yorkers are just so conditioned to like dodge any interaction, especially with the <laughs> pandemic. Now it's even, now we're even more antisocial, but there's a certain defensiveness, especially when you're commuting of like, nope, I live here. I'm not going to be solicited. And sometimes it's just about the art. It's not yeah. necessarily, they're not trying to get anything from you. Yeah. It's been a fun project to do, especially now. Cause you know, I can't do the tours. And also I'm not even recommending that people really take the train too much. Like it's a bit nuts down there. <laughs> so watch my virtual web series instead. And you can see everything from the comfort of your own phone or home. <laughs> yes. And they can find it on Patreon, right? It's on Patreon. The first few episodes, the first three episodes are actually for free on YouTube. Amazing. So if you just type in uh, the art underground, uh, it should come up or you can type my name in Rudy Harushin and it'll pop up. Uh, but yeah, you know, I, I just, I love that I've been able to kind of metam metamorphosize like the whole tour experience because I also myself don't want to be out there, right? Like leading in person right now. Like I don't think right. we're ready for that. So it's been nice to be able to do it on screen. Yeah. Safely. Virtual has like made a lot of things easier and streamlined a lot of stuff. So I'm glad that you took advantage of that. And you also lead experiences on Airbnb. Is that right. similar to the art? Or what, what is that experience like? So the Airbnb, that was actually first. And that's the in-person tour. So I would take people um, either to see street art and graffiti in different neighborhoods of New York City. And we would also hop into different places and like taste some of the food around. Cool. So like if we're in a specific neighborhood and there's something that, that I know is really nice, like dim sum or these fancy chocolates that I love, stick with me sweets, <laughs> we'll jump in, right? But like um, that is in person. So I've been taking a little break from that. But Airbnb experiences has been like a really great platform as well. And I've met people from all over the world through that platform. So I'm really thankful to them. And those will come back, you know, I'm hoping in the summer I'm able to start small again, maybe yeah. small groups, like six to eight people at a time. But that's been, that's been fun too. Yeah. Yeah. You could always do masks. I feel like yeah. people are okay with that, but yeah, I'm excited to see you bring that back because I feel like you would just be the best tour guide. I want to go on a tour with you and you're using all that you know about New York too to share that with other people. That's I mean, so I used to be a concierge uh, for a while. So the, the idea really came from my passion of art, but also like showing people the different neighborhoods, like a neighborhood guide. So it wasn't just about the art. It was like, okay, well, what food is around here? What's of interest? Mm. And it was all from a local's perspective. I'm not here to give people fancy dates. And in 1928, <laughs> this happened. Like, that's boring to me. No one wants least. that. Yeah. Some, somebody may want that, but I, I think that's a hard swallow. And I think it's better to be a storyteller. And like, I always connect it back to experiences that I've had in the neighborhood or stories, you know, because or sometimes there's stories about the artists that are important and fun. You know, even like with the street art, there's a, a particular wall on Bowery and Houston that it's only there and it's a thing now because of Keith Haring. So I tell wow. the story of that wall and that's super interesting. And that's like, people want to know things like that that they haven't heard before, so. You're filling a gap. It's just more of an authentic experience. It's not some yeah. like historical marketing scheme where everybody's trained, like it's just coming from you. And this and is the stuff knowledge. that I would do, like I would do this in my time off. That, you know, so it's like, I'm, I'm just, bringing you along because I would normally be doing that on a Saturday anyway, you know, so, so awesome. it's that. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's the best kind of project when it's just something that you love doing. I'm sure you're meeting awesome people from all over, which is like really cool. Um, and I also feel like you can connect with people in a way and yeah. share your experiences, whether it is about mental health or just about your knowledge of the city. 
Um, so where can people find you, Rudy? Thank you so much again for coming on today. And this was like such, it was such a cool conversation. It took a nice turn to a lot of different topics that I didn't expect. So love that. <laughs> where can people find you, your social media? What so series? social media is Rudy was here and it's Rudy with two D's. So uh, R-U-D-D-Y, Rudy was here. But I also have a website that I just launched and it's, um, you know, it's it's my full name, Rudy Harushian. Um, and that you can find that on Instagram as well. But you know, I, I feel like right now um, I'm also focusing on my music and I just released my first single uh, on Spotify. So if you look up Rudy Someone Else, which is the name of the single, it pops up and it's my very first uh, musical endeavor out there and I'm really proud of it. Yay, Someone Else you said. And what, mm -hmm. what gave you the courage to be like, I'm gonna drop this song? I've just been really just in tune with what I want in life recently. And I know that calling myself an artist was like a big fear of mine growing up. And I just, I'm owning it, you know, it's what I love to do. I wake up sometimes when I start writing lyrics to songs, like it's my passion. So I'm one of my passions. Uh, and I just want to make sure that I do something about it. I don't want the ideas to just sit there. So, you know, I don't know how many people are going to listen to it. I don't know anything now that I've released it. I don't know what's going to happen, but it was more about the journey for me, like making the song, um, you know, just my own personal uh, satisfaction with like the creation process and that has been a therapy for me and it's been really fun so hopefully people will love it and like you know I love sharing it but it was more about me to be honest than yeah. just making it yeah it's not to please anyone or like to yeah, meet a certain just, goal just for the love I can't turn it off so the song's gonna come out anyway might as well release them <laughs> yes awesome so guys check out the song check out the art underground on patreon check out airbnb experiences you could be one of the first to be on an in-person tour this summer I think you guys should sign up, but thank you Join Rudy me. again. Yes. My love, it was so nice to meet with you and chat about important things. And uh, thank you for having this platform. I of look uh, forward to seeing you soon. Yes, <laughs> let's get together soon. And thanks again yeah. for being so vulnerable and open. And I think it's going to help a lot of people. Bye guys. Bye.